I want to call Jan up, Jan de Langman. He's an amazing anointed man of God. We always admire his humble leadership. And as the band makes their way down, I'm just going to pray for him and just pray for the word he's going to share with us tonight. He said we are in African time because we're celebrating and praying for Burundi. So we're going to be at only four hours of preaching, a little bit more worship. You're allowed to stand up and sing a song in between if it's relevant to the, to the preach. <laughs> but yeah, let me pray for you, Jan. You can take your mask off. <laughs> yeah, Father, I just pray for Jan now, Lord, but I just pray more for just your word, Father, that you're going to share with us. Thank you for Jan's heart, that he's humbled himself to hear from you despite the crazy life of being a new dad, and he really did sacrifice just time to, to hear from you, Lord, and we just honor him for that. We pray for the word this evening, that our hearts will be ready, and that you will speak through him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Jamie. Great. So, yes, we are, uh, it's Nation Sunday, and even though I don't look like I'm representing a nation, I'm representing all of them. Uh, so if you, in your mind's eye, can imagine me with a turbine or like a terracotta warrior uh, outfit or whatever, um, go for it. Um, but it's such a privilege to be with you again tonight and really to, to share um, the Word of God. And for those of you who've missed out the, the last couple of weeks, we are busy with uh, the book of Ephesians. Uh, so I've got terrible news uh, and I've got good news. So the terrible news is that you missed out big time. You really did miss out big time if you weren't here for the past couple of Sundays. But the good news, as always, is that the sermons are available on I Felt Out Online. So I really want to encourage you, go and spend some time with these messages and really allow God to establish that in, our, in your heart, uh, to make it permanent. Um, and yeah, it's, it's such, a, such an incredible book for us as the church. Um, but at no additional cost to you, I will share and recap a bit what, what Kylan shared last week from the, the book of Ephesians 4. If you want to, you can always buy me a coffee. I mean, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't mind that. But what we see from Ephesians 4 is Paul urges us to, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Um, Paul urges us that to, to be in Christ. And when we are in Christ, we are, we are added by the body. Jesus adds us to the body. And thank God that he adds us to the body. And it's not us. Um, because we need the body of Christ. And that's why it's a body with different members. So all of us have a different, uh, in, or in some way, we are different. Um, but as Kylan said, there's this interdependency upon each other uh, in the body of Christ, which, which makes the body move forward in this unity. And it's, it's the work of Christ that allows us to be vulnerable before each other, to move our differences aside, and to humble ourselves and to allow God to come and work in us this unity um, that he, he desires for the body of Christ. So Jesus matures us and equips us for the work of ministry um, as he works within us. And ultimately the body grows up in love. And tonight we are going to look at Ephesians 5. So from verse 15. So you can quickly scroll there or page there. So Ephesians 5 verse 15. We, we can start at verse 1, but then I'll have to keep you here the night and... Uh, I'm a new dad, as um, Jamie mentioned, and if Kristen doesn't sleep, we don't sleep, so I'm not going to keep you here, so you're lucky, uh, but we still have at least until 12, um, but you can page to, to verse 15, 
Um, now, in keeping with this, this the message uh, and the specific focus that we, we are going uh, to look at tonight, the marriage covenant and the covenant relationship, I really want to honor the, the married couples tonight. So if you are married and you are here tonight, if your spouse is not here, you can still stand. But if you are married, please quickly stand, all the married couples. Yeah, we excuse you. We excuse you, dear. That's fine. All the married couples. Okay. So we, we really want to honor you tonight um, for, for stepping into that. Um, and w- what I want to do is um, specifically highlight the, the people uh, who are married the longest. So you get to remain standing. So those of you who have been married for more than a week, um, you can remain standing. So I was, I was actually bargaining on Louis and Annika to be here because they were married last week, Saturday. So they could have stood. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So they are standing. Let's imagine them standing. If you have been married for more than a month, you can remain standing. Okay, good, good. We're doing good. If you have been married for more than three months, you can remain standing. Well done, guys. Uh, if you've been married for more than six months, you can remain standing. More than a year? More than two years? More than five years? Okay, now we're busy separating. I'm still standing. I'm still standing. More than eight years, I need to sit now. Okay, Yaku and Red. It's the only, only people remaining standing. Awesome. I really want to honor you for the, the privilege of, of allowing us to see a godly marriage and uh, for being an example for us. Um, you can now take your seat. You can now take your seat. Okay, let's pray. Now, Father, we... We just come and humble ourselves before you, Lord. And first of all, we want to thank you for the gift of marriage, Lord. Uh, we want to thank you that we can participate in something so beautiful that you designed and you, you intended for, for us to, um, to experience in this lifetime. Lord, we thank you that we can be an example um, of your grace through our marriages, Lord. And we pray just for tonight as we discover the marriage covenant, um, what you intended with the marriage covenant. But Lord, we pray even more that you will come and Establish something permanent in our hearts when it comes to the covenant relationship that you want to establish with us. Lord, I pray that our hearts will be open to receive your word, Lord. I pray that the words that I speak, Lord, if it's not from you, that it will not bear fruit. But when, where your word goes out, Lord, we thank you that it accomplishes what it's set out to do. And Lord, we pray that you will just come and minister to us um, as we humble ourselves before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's go back to Ephesians 5. Um, so as I said, we're going to start with verse 15. So I'll try and summarize what Paul is saying in verse 1 to 14, uh, just to save a bit of time. Um, and again, that's not really the part of our focus tonight. Um, so in, in verse 1, he basically concludes what he said in, in Ephesians 4, for us to live in unity, to have this desire to, to live in unity. And then he goes on to say that we should be imitators of God, uh, that we should walk in love. And it's it's the same love that Christ loved us with when he gave himself for us. So that's what, what, what Paul is urging us to do. To, to, and that's the foundation of the rest of the scripture. Um, for us to walk in this love, this mutual love, understanding that Christ loved us first and therefore we love. And he goes on to basically explain what, uh, what it looks like to walk in the way of love and then also contradicting what it looks like not to look, walk in the way of love And um, you can go and read about that and also the consequences of that lifestyle. But in verse 8, Paul, uh, he moves over and he says that um, 
we have been taken from darkness to light. And he explains what it means to be the children of light. But we're going to pick it up in, in verse 15, so you can follow on. I believe it's behind me. There we go. Okay. Look carefully there now you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. I always wondered, how do you spell or pronounce that? So I had to go and, yeah, it's debauchery. It's not debauchery or anything like that. It's debauchery. So if you didn't know, there you know. But, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So in, in these verses, Paul makes two very important points uh, that we need to, to really keep in mind when we go into the next scripture. So the first thing that he says is, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So say to your neighbor, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So when, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we, as Romans 8 says, when we keep in step with the Spirit, when we submit, uh, live in submission to the Holy Spirit, that creates in us this desire to, to live for one another. That creates in us this desire to, to, um, to place someone else's, need be, uh, be, someone else's need above my needs. Um, it creates this almost this sacrificial uh, heart in us, and it creates a heart of thankfulness. And the second important point that he makes is in verse 21. And this verse, let me read it, it says... Um, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul urges us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In light of the gospel, he calls us to serve one another. He calls us to place each other's needs above our own. And from that place of being filled in the Spirit, from, from that place of submitting to one another, um, not seeking our own desires, Paul zooms into this next verse from verse 22 to 23, where he focuses on the relationship between a husband and a wife and what the roles look like. So let's follow on then from verse 22. Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord, for the Lord is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. All the men say, your. Your. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that she, he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now that might ring a bell, because that's in Genesis 2. But we'll get there. And then, the the moment we've been waiting for. This mystery is profound. And I, Paul, is saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, 
and let each wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, so there you have it. Husbands, love your wife. Wives, respect your husbands. We can, we can go. That's it. That's how you do it. That's how you have a good marriage. So the purpose of tonight's message, as I said, is, is not to, to really focus on the submission and the headship that, that Paul describes here. But I want to get to the, the covenant of marriage. I want to get to the heart behind what God intended for marriage. Um, and, and I pray that we'll have a deep understanding of the marriage covenant as, as, a, as a start. But to transcend that, that we'll have a deep understanding of the covenant that God has with us. And that, what that means for us as His church. So, what exactly is a covenant? Um, we, I don't know about you, but I don't use the word often. It's not like standing around the, the brine saying, yes, last week I uh, entered into a covenant with Cell C uh, for the new iPhone. Um, we, don't, we don't talk like that. We talk contractually. So, we use contracts. Uh, and we've got a better understanding of contracts. But there's a clear difference between a contract and a covenant. And ultimately, a covenant or a contract has a time limit. So, you have 24 months in a cell phone contract, but, your, but the covenant is, is unconditional promises that are permanent. Contracts are based on if, this, then, that. So there are conditions in a contract. But the covenant is based on those unconditional promises, like our wedding vows. Um, and a contract is typically motivated by the desire to get something. So you enter into a contract because you want a cell phone or you want data or you want a house or whatever. So there's typically a desire when you enter into a contract. But the marriage covenant, your desire is for the other person to be served. Your desire is the other person, uh, the benefit of the other person. So a covenant is a, an agreement that forms a relationship. A covenant is an agreement that forms a relationship. Now the the Bible is full of examples of covenants. Um, and actually, covenants are an essential theme if you look at the history of, of the Bible. Uh, covenants are actually very important for us uh, to understand and to, to realize why God entered into covenants. But basically, God entered into uh, a number of covenants with people, but we also see that people enter into covenants with each other, all nations. Um, and I want to highlight one of the covenants because it, it, I think it speaks a lot um, but what, when we read Genesis 15, we actually see what it entailed when two parties made a covenant. So essentially, the two parties come together, the, the covenant is uh, or, um, pronounced, and then they cut up animals in half. They place the animals on each side, and then obviously, uh, I would think, blood flows between these pieces, I would think, if you cut them in half. Um, and then what typically would happen is the two parties would walk through the, the basically the aisle of, of these uh, sacrifices to signify that they are now sealing this, this covenant. And a covenant had a curse, and that signified the curse, is I, I promise to keep this covenant, um, and if I don't, I uphold my end of the, the covenant, the promise, may this happen to me. May I be cut in half like these animal pieces. Crazy. But that's what the covenant was. That's the, that's the symbol of the covenant. And what's mind-blowing in, in Genesis 15 is where God enters into this covenant with Abram. But God puts Abram into a deep sleep, and then we see that there's 
a smoking fire pot and a torch of or a flame of a torch or something, which basically represented God's presence. And that goes through the the, the basically the offerings. So Abram wasn't invited to participate in this covenant, sealing of this covenant. So basically what God was saying is, Abram, I'm, see, I'm making this covenant promise with you, but I'm taking this on myself. I'm, I'm going to uphold this covenant. If, if I don't uphold this covenant, this will happen to me. This will not happen to you. I hope it rings a bell so long. And we, we see that, that God actually upholds his promise, and the, uh, Abram was, um, or the, the, the whole covenant came, true in Abram becoming a great nation, the nation. So the next important covenant that we read about is in 2 Samuel, where God basically makes a covenant with King David, and he says that um, from your line, uh, a king will be established um, who will redeem or deliver God's people. And we see in Jeremiah 31, uh, we follow on from, from that in Jeremiah 31, we read that the new covenant was established. And go and spend time on that. Go and spend time on Jeremiah 31. And we see that that new covenant involves us now. God makes this covenant with Israel and Judah, but that's us. That covenant involves us because that points to the gospel. And Jesus is the one that fulfills that covenant. Jesus is the one that pays the penalty. Jesus is the one that, that paid that sacrifice. And we see that this covenant, the covenant of grace, gives this covenant of marriage substance. And, and I'm saying that because Paul, in Ephesians 5, verse 31 to 32, he points back and he says that the first marriage between Adam and Eve, where he points back to Genesis 2, he says that the first marriage between Adam and Eve, that marriage covenant, is a mystery because it points to Christ and the church. So the marriage covenant reflects the covenant of grace, reflects the covenant uh, that God... Um, uh, invoked with us. So, keeping that in the front of your mind, let's then look at the marriage covenant. Okay, so for those of you who are married, I want to take you back perhaps a week, maybe eight years, but I want to take you back to that moment where you made your vows, um, where you entered into this covenant relationship with each other, this marriage covenant, and where you, where you made these promises to each other, before God and before people around you. And if you, I'm not leaving anyone out, so if you are not yet married, you haven't gone through that, just imagine you're standing in front of the altar, Yaku nicely dressed, not like now with his Australian hat, but nicely dressed, and you're holding your husband or your future wife to be his hand, and you're making these promises uh, to love and to hold, to cherish, uh, for better or worse, or Afrikaans who say for better or worse, no, we don't. So, for better or worse, till death do us part. So those are the, the, the promises that we make. Till death do us part. So these promises are unconditional. They're binding promises that we agree upon when we get married. And it's, it's because of that, these unconditional promises, that the marriage covenant is a safe space where we get to be vulnerable before each other, where we get to expose who we are, where we, can, we, we let our guard down, and we get to discover the other person's deepest desires, deepest needs, where we, where we are, we, we, we are, as I said, we are exposed, yet we are loved unconditionally by our spouse. And that's the marriage covenant. 
it's a space where we are challenged to grow, not only as a person, but really also in our faith in Christ, where the other person um, serves us in love to, to be more like Christ. It's, it's a place where we extend grace towards each other. It's a place where we learn to forgive, but we also learn to receive forgiveness. Um, and it's, as I said in the beginning, the marriage covenant is where we desire to meet the needs of the other one, above our own. In, in the union of marriage is where we get to work together as a team to, to build a family, to co-labor with Christ, and to really advance God's kingdom. And that's God's desire for marriage. That's His design, is that marriage would glorify Him, that it will be a reflection of His glory. Thank you, Christian. Yeah. Everyone still with me? Are you following? Keeping up? Okay, we still have three hours. Okay, so I want to share a story because I think it makes the point that I want to make next. So, uh, a while back, we, we were looking at Wi-Fi deals, and um, I, uh, as we typically do, we do thorough research, and eventually we decided on a service provider, and um, filled in the million forms, uh, submitted all the documents, signed on the dotted line, and there we go. An agreement was made for 24 months, 24 months, uh, with a service provider that will provide us with data, uh, an exact amount, and we'll pay exact amount of money each month to our bulk. And literally the next week, a different service provider comes. He gives a month-to-month -month contract. Remember, I'm in a 24-month contract. They come up with a month-to-month -month contract with more data for less money. But I'm now in this 24-month contract. So immediately my brain goes, okay, what do I do? What do how do I get out of this contract? Because this is not benefiting me anymore. Um, they're taking my money. Needless to say, we did exit the agreement with a penalty fee. And we're now on a month-to-month -month contract. <laughs> but that's how our culture thinks. That is exactly because we're accustomed to, to contracts. That's how our culture thinks. Not we, them. We think if my spouse is not meeting my needs then I should look somewhere else. We think that if, if, I'm, not, if I'm not happy, if, if, if my desires are not met in this relationship, in this marriage, then obviously there's something wrong and I must find someone else. Or if I don't feel the way I did when we got married, when we made those promises, if I don't feel that way anymore, then obviously something must be wrong. And I need to look for someone else. And when we are standing in front of the altar, when we are making these promises, obviously there are emotions involved. Good emotions, beautiful emotions. I ugly cried when Ellen walked down the aisle of joy. Um, so there are emotions, and it's real. But the marriage covenant transcends that. The marriage covenant is not based on our emotions. The same with the gospel. The gospel is true even though you don't feel it. Um, so the marriage covenant is not based on emotions on or on feelings. It's an unconditional commitment towards each other. And at our wedding, uh, a close friend of ours, her dad, shared something that stuck with Ellen and myself um, for our marriage. He said that you, you choose to marry the one that you love, then you love the one that you chose to marry. I hope it's a, there you go. Memorize that because that changes it. So our biggest barrier towards that Ephesians 5 marriage that Paul describes is that we look to our spouse, we look to our marriage to fulfill us. We look to, to each other to meet our deepest needs and desires. The reality is, 
sinner marries a sinner that needs a savior. And Ellen and I realized this, praise, yeah, praise God for, for realizing this early on in our marriage, but we came to a point where we realized that we were making each other, um, we, or we were placing each other on the throne of our hearts. We were looking towards each other to fulfill those deep needs and these desires that only God can. So there was this unhealthy expectation for Ellen to meet certain needs that I had, which only God can meet. And thank God for His unending grace. Um, but we look to the, to the marriage. We look to, to each other to satisfy our souls. And that's God's work. That is, God, that is what God came to do. And that he, His desire for us is to be satisfied in Him. Nothing on this earth, no marriage, no perfect marriage, no perfect person will ever give you, will ever satisfy your soul the way that God does. So, the extent to which we embrace this, this covenant of grace, this gospel, is the extent to which we will embrace the marriage covenant. The way we submit ourselves on the gospel, the way we embrace that gospel message, allow it to work in us, will be evident in our relationship, will be evident in our marriage, and the way we perceive that. So we, when we look at Ephesians 5, verse 22 to 33, we see Paul the whole time. Paul is comparing the marriage covenant to the covenant of, with, that God made with us. He's, he's comparing our marriage covenant with Jesus and the church. And an example in verse 22, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. So embracing this gospel message Every day, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us into the, to discover the truth of the covenant of marriage and the covenant of grace, that will result in us. That will result in this mutual sacrificial marriage where we see what, is, what Paul is speaking about in Ephesians 5. Then, for a wife to submit, willingly submit to her husband, becomes natural because the husband is willingly loving his wife the way that Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. So embracing the gospel in our own lives, in our own marriages, results in us serving one another, living this, this life that, that Paul was speaking about, being imitators of God, walking in love. And why do we do that? Why, why do we serve each other? Why do we place each other's needs above our own? The gospel. Jesus came to serve. Jesus came to serve us first. And as we embrace that, that produces in us this desire to actually place the other one's um, desires above our own. And then Paul ends off chapter 5 with a crucial point. And please take note of this, because this again changes a lot of things. So he says in verse 33, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So Paul's pointing to two different things when he speaks to the husband and speaks to the wife. Two specific ways that husband and wife need to act towards each other in marriage. Husband, love your wife. Wife, respect your husband. Why? Why would he do that? Well, I came to realize, for me, it's easy for me in my marriage to show respect. Because that's what I desire. As a, as a man, um, I believe that God wired us differently. So I, I desire respect. Um, and similar with, with my wife, 
She desires love. And that's why it's easy for her to show love. So what Paul is doing here is he's elevating the marriage covenant. He's again saying, you have to live sacrificially because it's something that's not natural for each of you to show love and to show respect. Embracing the gospel allows us to, to live exactly that way. So when we look to the marriage covenant to, to satisfy this deep need and deep desires that we have in ourselves, when we have this me mindset in our marriage, what can I get out of this marriage? What, what, how, how do I benefit from, from this marriage? We will end up in this crazy cycle of love and respect where the husband, um, doesn't, or where the husband responds to his wife uh, unlovingly because she had a, a, a disrespectful word. So she disrespected him. Now, she doesn't deserve love, so he doesn't respond with love. Then she doesn't get the, the love that she desires from him, so she responds out of disrespect. And that's the crazy cycle that we see in marriage. So the cycle goes on and on because each one desires his own need. Each one is looking to, to himself to be fulfilled. But when we embrace the gospel, when we allow God to come and meet those needs, and just then, we are able to break the cycle because we come to a place where we want to serve each other. We want to place the other person's need above our own. I don't need Ellen to respect me for me to show love to her. Why? Because my deepest needs is met in Christ. And I'm not saying we're getting this right. I'm not. But we, we know that God wants, desires for us to have this kind of relationship and for us to embrace the, the gospel. So again, embracing the covenant of grace enables us to embrace the marriage covenant. So I want you to, just to take a moment and just reflect on this. And if you are married, I want you just to take a moment, just where you are, reflect on your marriage. Perhaps um, you as a married couple are sitting here and you can see Ephesians 5 in your marriage. And praise God for that. Um, and I implore you to keep on serving each other. Keep on putting the other one's needs above your own. Keep on desiring the gospel to be formed in your own life as you establish it in your marriage. Because God, God's design for the marriage is for him to be glorified. Yes, we are in a marriage relationship, but the marriage transcends us because it, it symbolizes God's covenant with, with us as a church. Perhaps, perhaps your, your marriage is at a different spot. Perhaps you're at a, a place where you, where you feel discontent, where you feel lonely, um, where you feel resentment. Tonight I want to tell you there's hope. We've seen it. We've seen how God, God's desire is for marriages to last. God intended it. And there's hope. So if you are sitting here tonight and your marriage is at a, a different place and um, you're really seeking or um, seeking answers um, to, to resolve this brokenness, there's hope. But God asks of us to embrace the gospel first. God asks of us to allow Him to be our first love. Do not look to our marriage to fulfill us, but for Him to fulfill us, for Him to sustain us. And yes, God is faithful to restore your marriage as well, because His heart is for marriage. So after the service, if you want to come and speak to us,
please come to us. We really want to walk this journey with you. Our heart for marriages to be healthy and fruitful. So come and speak to us after the service. Um, and yeah, we really want to journey with you as you discover how to, to work through this. Now, for those of you who are engaged, uh, who, who, who's engaged? Yes, Aubrey and Tammy, cool. Didn't see any other hands. Um, yeah, who's, who's almost engaged? <laughs> don't answer, don't answer. But for those of you who are at a space, or perhaps, yeah, you're almost engaged. But if you are at that page, uh, space, space, page, space, what word did you use, Yaku? Good and great, what? Groot. So, spage. If you're at a Groot spage, if you, if you are engaged or you are planning on getting engaged, um, tonight I want to ask you just to reflect on what is your desire for marriage? Why do you want to get marriage? Marriage. <laughs> what time is it? My English is up. Um, if, if you have this desire to get married, obviously if you are engaged, you have this desire. But I want you to ask you just to reflect on what is that desire? Is it to have this Ephesians 5 marriage? Is it to, to glorify God in your marriage? Then I want to honor you. Because God is going to use your marriage to be a, a symbol of His grace towards those outside of church. He's going to use your marriage to reflect His glory to the world around you. If that's your desire, keep on pressing into it. But if tonight maybe you're sitting here and you realize that wasn't necessarily my desire. My desire was more um, for, for the other person to fulfill a need that I had. I want to ask you to take this moment and really repent and ask God to be the one that fulfills that. Because if you take that desire into your marriage, you're placing an unhealthy burden on the other person. Allow God to settle that in your heart before you enter into marriage. Allow God to come and meet those deep needs before you enter into marriage. And similarly, I'm not going to miss anyone. So if you are single or not yet married, I also want to ask you, and it, it, there's a very important point that Ellen made me say, was going to make me say, is if you are single and you want to get married, um, I want to ask you to do the same, to reflect on what is your desire, why do you want to get married? Is it for, for someone else to, um, or for you to be loved and accepted by someone else? Is there a need for... For that, or is there a deep need to, again, reflect God's glory in your marriage? But allow God to be your first love. Allow the bridegroom to be your first love. He's the, one that can only, he's the only one that can satisfy our souls. Um, and not, not a person, not uh, an institution, not marriage can't do that for you. Only God can. But God will use that to reflect His glory. So we're going to go into a time of communion now. Um, yeah, I think, Karina, you can, you can come up. But we're going to spend some time in communion. There's communion at the back. So for the married couples, um, I, I want to ask you to, to use communion together. Um, and perhaps your marriage is not at a good space, and there are things that you are facing. I still want to encourage you. Use communion together. Reflect on the gospel. Reflect on the gospel message, and allow God to come and Work that into your heart. Allow the gospel message to be the truth that sustains you. And then, after using communion, 
in that moment, ask God to come and restore because he's faithful. Ask God to come and heal, to come and, to come and be the first love in your own life um, and to be the focus and the center of your marriage. And then for the rest of us, I want you to do communion different tonight maybe, and that's to use it on your own. And the reason why I want that, or I want you to do it that way, is to allow God to really come and minister to you as the individual. Allow Him to come and speak to you, to come and establish His love for you as the individual. Allow Him to come and meet those needs that you have first before we enter into anything else. So you can go and take communion and um, we'll call back when, when we are done. So please go and have communion. Wait. Just one second. Sorry, Jan. Um, Colin just shared something quickly and I think it's important, but don't go too far. Um, obviously, I think it's so important for us to have a really good understanding of marriage um, because the enemy is on a rampant path to destroy marriages. Um, globally, the statistics over the last two years because of COVID, how it's affected marriages and caused many marriages to break up, um, it's huge. Um, in our own midst, um, you, we face challenges and tensions. And it's not that COVID brings the tension. COVID exposed the tension. Um, for a lot of people, they were forced to work at home. And for many people, work was the escape from a not-so-healthy marriage. Um, so that has exposed what has been happening at home. And we need to understand that God's heart is for marriages to last. And His default, almost like when we look at the biblical pattern, is yes, people get married. People, there are examples of people who do not get married, and I want you to hear us clearly. And this is very important. The goal in life is not to get married. Okay? It's important. The goal in life is not to get married. The ultimate enjoyment or expression of the gospel is not marriage. Yes, there is something that a healthy marriage portrays about the gospel that other relationships don't. But if God has called you to celibacy, to call, if He's called you to a single life, there is something that you will experience in that singleness that a married couple cannot. When God has graced you to get children, there is something that you get to experience about the gospel that those who do not have children cannot. When God has um, graced you to adopt, there's something that you get to experience about the gospel that those who gave get got children on their own cannot. So there's different places where God ex um, reveals to us the gospel, and that's the beauty of the body of Christ collectively we get to express and experience the gospel. So I need you to hear me that the goal in life is not to get married. But we need healthy marriages. Society is built upon healthy families. We need healthy families. All right? Now some of you are here tonight and you do not have a desire to get married ever. That's great. <laughs> That's not necessarily a bad thing. It can be a bad thing if you have a, if you have a warped the idea of what a healthy relationship should be. If you have a wrong idea of marriage, maybe from your parents or family members, and you're like, mm, I never want to get married because of what I've experienced, then that's also something you need to lay down. Maybe you've really been hurt in relationships. Maybe you've gone through a marriage and it didn't work out, and stuff just didn't happen the way that you've dreamed. And now you're almost at a space where you've um, created a barrier around your heart to say, 
I'm not going to allow people to love me that way again because the last time I did, it hurt too much. And maybe that's not even from a marriage relationships, maybe just in relationships where you've allowed someone to love you, but they've disappointed you, they've hurt you, they've betrayed you, they cheated on you. And now you've almost drew, drew a line in the sand to say, I'll never expose myself like that again. I'll never make myself vulnerable like that again. Now that is an absolute statement that you are making over your own destiny. You are playing God with your own future. And you need to repent. When we say, God, I will never become like my dad. I will never this. We are making absolutes. And then we are playing God. And we need to lay it down. Now the good news is that God's covenant love wants to press into your heart. God's covenant love wants to press into your heart. Maybe you are single and you have this huge desire to get married um, because you've maybe got this example or this idea, maybe it's a fairy tale picture that you have of what a marriage relationship is. And you're like, I just long to be loved like that. No, you long to be loved by Jesus. And unless that is settled, your husband or your wife will never satisfy you. That's what Jan was pointing towards. So here's the good news that I wanna, want you to take into communion tonight. So Jan, you'll portray my wife just because of the length. So a, a contract says, I'm committed and faithful as long as you are committed and faithful. I'm going to look down because I normally, when I look. <laughs> now let's say my wife, Jan, has a bad day at work and she withdraws. But here's the thing. She withdraws without knowing that she's withdrawing. She's just had a bad day. Nothing personal, nothing like that. She's just withdrawing. Now she withdraws a little bit. Now I, like, whoa, I thought we are in this together. Why are you withdrawing? If you're withdrawing, I'm withdrawing. Now she says, hey, why are you withdrawing? And she's withdrawing. Withdraw, she. I'm like, whoa, you're withdrawing more. You guys see where this is going? And it started with a simple, I just had a bad day at work moment. But here's the covenant. Come back, wife. She had a bad day at work, and she withdraws. The covenant does this. And it restores. <laughs> the covenant presses in. You make a beautiful wife. Yeah. <laughs> Friends, the covenant restores. And you need to understand that that is the way that God loves you. When you withdraw, whether it's because you feel ashamed of what's been happening in your life or you've messed up or you're just doubting, maybe you're just going through a difficult season and you find your heart withdrawing a little bit, the covenant presses in. Where you fail, where you fall short, where you doubt, the covenant fills the gap. That whole moment where God put Abram in a deep sleep, God walked through the um, altar for his part, but he also walked through for our part. And Jesus on the cross is the fulfillment of that covenant love that God will never fail you. God will never fail you. His covenant love presses in and from experiencing His covenant love, you are able to give His covenant love to the people around you. And next week, we're going we're gonna to focus on being a covenant people. So this understanding this message, understanding the gospel, understanding the covenant, covenant is about so much more than just a healthy marriage. It's about a healthy church. We need to be an, a, a covenant people who walk and live from understanding the covenant, never failing love of God. So like Jan said, if you are married, have communion together, pray together, 
if you're single, have communion with Jesus. Because that's who your heart longs for the most. Have communion with Jesus. And by single, we mean not married. So even you guys.